all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and peace and salutations be upon the final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Brothers and sisters, welcome to episode 13, Blast from the Past, Seerah in the 21st century, this Monday, the 21st of July. 2014 and we are in the last 10 days of Ramadan and the last 10 nights of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those that witness the night of power. Ameen. Brothers and sisters, yesterday we took many a lesson and it was a continuation of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam becoming a prophet. Today we will take what I call part three of the session that we started two days ago. And part three marks Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam becoming a messenger. Remember we said he first became a prophet and that was with Iqra. And this is the view of the majority. And this is the correct opinion and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best because there is a minor difference of opinion between the scholars with regards to the first revelation. Was it Ya Ayyuhal Muddathir or was it Iqra? And context definitely shows that it was Iqra. So Rasulullah became a Nabi and a Prophet with Iqra. And he became a messenger sent to his people with Ya Ayyuhal Muddathir. In Sahih al Bukhari, it states that Rasulullah said, Whilst I was walking along, I heard a voice from the heavens and I raised up my eyes and lo, the angel that had appeared to me in Hira, which means what? The first ayah to be revealed was Iqra. Because now we're going to hear the revelation, Ya Ayyuhal Muddathir. And in this narration, Rasulullah is saying, I saw the angel that I saw in Hira, which means Hira happened before this occasion. And we know that Iqra was said to Rasulullah when he was in the cave of Hira, right? That's why I said context teaches us that the first ayah or ayat revealed was in the cave. Rasulullah says, I saw the same angel that I saw in Hira, and he was sitting on a throne between the heaven and the earth. And I was struck with awe on account of him and returned home again. Rasulullah fearful, he says, I was struck in awe and returned home saying, wrap me up, wrap me up. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, O you who are clothed. Arise and warn. Ya ayyuhal muddathir, qum fa'anzir. And thy Lord do magnify. Wa rabbaka fakabbir. 
and thy garments do purify. And the next ayah, and uncleanliness do shun. So this was what was revealed to Rasulullah the opening ayat of Suratul Muddathir. Now, this is an incident. Rasulullah becoming a messenger. Right? The scholars say he became a messenger with these ayat and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, فَاصْدَعْ بِمَا تُؤْمَرْ وَأَعْرِضْ عَنِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ Inshallah we will come to that particular mention. For now, we have an incident. And that entails Rasulullah being a messenger. He's no more a person who was blessed to see the angel of revelation. Now, he was sent to his people specifically and everybody else generally. Because we know Rasulullah was not a prophet that was specific to a specific nation like Musa salam and Isa alayhi salam. He was sent to everybody. He was the seal of all prophets. And after him, do you and I walk in his footsteps? Continuing the legacy of prophethood. And inshallah, we'll discuss that a bit later. But as per this incident, we have lessons. What are the lessons that we learn? Firstly, brothers and sisters, we learn how to be selective in our efforts when we want to get through to people. When we want to get through to people. This is a, a great lesson that we learned here. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him a prophet, then opened up the means for him to realize exactly what happened to him. And revelation had stopped. And he sallallahu alayhi wasallam became sad, anticipating the revelation now wishing for it to happen. Remember, we discussed this in previous episodes. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now brings back revelation. Right? This is being selective. This is allowing a person time to contemplate, to analyze. And in many cases, brothers and sisters, when we are calculated in how we get the message across, Sometimes giving a person some space allows them to realize the truth for themselves. And this is a greater da'wah. It's a greater da'wah. For a person to experience realization rather than being spoon-fed is a more powerful phenomenon. And even in education, we are taught that when we ask a question to our students and the student blurts out an answer, instead of saying wrong and correcting the student straight away, pause for a while. Because as the mind of the child is answering, the child is purposely thinking as well. Purposely recalculating, recalibrating. And in many an instance, they will come to the right answer themselves and correct themselves. They'll say, no, no, no. This is the answer. This, this happens to us when we're given a chance, not so? Right? And this is better for us than somebody saying, no, this is the answer. You're more likely to forget the latter than the former. Right? So we learn from this, this whole concept of being calculated, methodical, being selective. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have made him a messenger from the outset. 
but made him a prophet. Experience the angel, experience the phenomenon, and let him go home to his wife. And then Allah inspired the meeting with Waraqah. And the message he received from Waraqah, your people will chase you. So now, he has grounding. It's not so strange to him. And we know that he anticipated the revelation because he was sad when it stopped. Now it came back to him. He's not going to receive it the way he received it the first time. And don't forget, receiving it the second time, making him a messenger is something extra. Right? It's like the on button has been pushed now. Everything's ready, the cameras are set, the lights are set. But we're waiting for the button to be pressed. Right? This is it. So Rasulullah the setting was set. Now what was left was the button being pressed. And he was more prepared to receive the on button. Imagine if it came from the word go. Never seen an angel before, given uh, a mighty instruction. And then facing his people without having any introduction, any foundation. Right? This is mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even in how he delivers prophet, prophethood. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. We also learn from this, my dear brothers and sisters, a point I highlighted several times yesterday. Please excuse my thin voice, subhanallah. It's being overused, but it's the month of Ramadan, it has to. I can't afford to rest it, right? <coughs> we also learn a point that I cited to you all yesterday, which was, Every time the person is as important as the point. And in some cases, the person is more important than the point. Prophethood was important. And Rasulullah as a human being was important as well. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to him and got him to the phase of being a messenger in a way based on divine wisdom. In the methodical way that we've just described. Because if it didn't happen that way, he might have been broken sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The point is prophethood, right? <coughs> Excuse me. The point is prophethood, but he's a human being as well. And he carries some relevance and importance. He's a human being. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful. Right? We brothers and sisters sometimes, not sometimes, many a time, especially in da'wah, we respect the point and the point should be respected. But we don't respect the person. How many a times have we upset somebody giving them da'wah? How many times have we belittled them giving them da'wah? How many times have we spoken to them at the wrong time? It wasn't the right time to say it. At this time, the person is more important than the point. This is not the time. But we rarely look at these things. We don't look at these things. Sometimes we're giving da'wah to our parents. And we speak to them in an unbefitting way. A way that contradicts how Islam asked you to speak to them. 
You've made the point more important than the person. In fact, this is a misrepresentation of the point if you disrespect your parents. When you see a fellow Muslim, he doesn't have his beard. Maybe his, his, his lower garment is below his ankles. Maybe she, our sister, is not observing the hijab. She's moving around as if she's a bottle of perfume. And we propagate the Islamic message belittling the person. We forget that the person is as important as the point. And in so many cases, the person is more important than the point. And yes, in some cases, the point is more important than the person. But our problem is, in all our cases, the point is more important than the person. We will argue and argue and argue and argue and not back down until animosity enters the hearts of the two people. Sometimes, hey, you know, he's not understanding you. Khalas. Just accept it and say, Khair inshallah. Let me contemplate it. Perhaps tomorrow we can have this discussion again. I've heard what you've had to say. You've said some good points. You might not agree with him, right? But we're saying, you know, halal diplomacy. You've said some points. Inshallah, they're good points. Let me ponder over these points. And he'll go home and ponder himself as well over what you said. And tomorrow, you'll have a more amicable discussion. Rather than you push, he pushes. He pushes harder, you push harder. And you keep on doing it until you've burnt all bridges. You've burnt the person and you cannot give him da'wah tomorrow. Wisdom. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to invite to his way with wisdom. Bil hikmah. Wal-maw'idah. Not just any maw'idah. Al-hasana. Even when you are telling somebody about the hellfire and so on and so forth, do it in the way that is worthy of the message being shared. You're speaking about the Qur'an. You're speaking about Qur'anic instruction. You're speaking that which is the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that revealed to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It has an aura and haybah surrounding it. And we remember the aura that it has when we get ourselves in the business of passing on this information. This is important brothers and sisters. We also learn this from this point. The way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose how he would make Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a messenger and how he would instruct him to go to his people meeting Waraka before being married to Khadija and all the experiences before we spoke about how he was a shepherd this is part of him part of his training how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala planned for him to be the one to save the Quraysh from bloodshed when it came to them rebuilding the Kaaba and the whole issue with Hajar al-Aswad five years before prophecy this was an incident as well. Selective and methodical. As the point is important, the person is important as well. Remember this, my dear brothers and sisters. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, from this, the importance of being gradual in bringing things into effect. This is very important. This is from the foundations of the Sharia. At-tadarruj. If you look at fiqh and the foundations of fiqh, the scholars say, from the foundations of fiqh is at-tadarruj fit-tashri'ah. There's a form, there's a gradual formation. Things come about shay'an fa shay'. They come about in 
short and methodical and calculated bursts. The Quran was revealed in how many years? 23 years, just over 23 years. And even the da'wah of Rasulullah, we just discussed, we're learning this from how he became a prophet, right? Gradually, gradually, being a shepherd, dealing with the Quraysh, seeing the angel in Hira, then seeing Waraqah, then anticipating revelation, then becoming a message, gradual, right? There was tadarruj. There was a methodical approach, right? And we see this also in the da'wah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as we will come to learn. First the da'wah was in private for three years. Then he was commanded to go full out. But go full out but not expose those who accepted Islam during the three years. When the da'wah was private, so not to cause harm to, uh, to befall them. You see, methodical, calculated. Remembering that many a time the person is as equal as the point and sometimes even more important than the point. This methodical way. And this was the this was the da'wah as we've seen, and this was the training of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as well. And why not when this was the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his revelation? Look at alcohol. Alcohol became haram in stages. Fasting became, as our scholars rahmatullahi alayhim say, became compulsory in stages. First was Ashura, to fast to Ashura. That was compulsory. Then the month of Ramadan became compulsory and Ashura was abrogated, it became a sunnah. But the month of Ramadan became compulsory in two, two stages. The first stage was you had a choice. You could fast or you could give or you could feed a poor person. As we had the Imam reading Salatul Isha, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the month of Ramadan compulsory, cancelling out Ashura. But when he made it compulsory at the beginning, you had a choice. As these ayat explain. You could fast or you could leave fasting, but you had to feed a poor person. Either this or that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, But if you fast, it's better for you. Look, you're being encouraged. Why? Because it's going to become compulsory. And then in the same uh, surah, Surah Al-Baqarah, a few ayat down, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Whoever sees the month, you, must, you, you have to fast it. Right, no more choice. It's cancelled. It's cancelled. Having a choice now is not an option. It happened in stages. Alcohol, in stages as well. Right? It happened in stages. This is well known and documented in the books of fiqh. First, you are not allowed to go to the prayer whilst in a state of intoxication. How many prayers do you have in a day? <coughs> so how much time do you have to drink? You're getting detoxed. You're getting detoxed. Then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed They ask you about alcohol and gambling Say in them both is a great sin And there's benefit in it But the sin is greater than the benefit Food for thought, go and think The person is important than the point at this moment in time 
If we just drop it on them, it, there could be the harm could be greater, right? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala later revealed in the Malhamru wal Maysiru wal Ansabu wal Azlamu Rijsumin Amali Shaytan Fajtaribuh Laallakum Tuflihun. That you have to stay away from alcohol. Stay away from it. Be far away from it. The instruction was powerful, but there was an introduction for that powerful instruction to be received and received well. We know that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in when this ayah was revealed, they were pouring alcohol. Right? Some of the books of Tafsir mentioned this. That there were streams of alcohol flowing in Medina. And when it rained for years after that, the smell would come out of the ground. There were those who, 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 who puked it out. Right? And when, you, when you cause yourself to vomit, they cause themselves to vomit. This is, this is, when, this is how, subhanallah, this inqiyad, this, this ittiba' and inqiyad, this is, subhanallah, this is the command of Allah, I am upon it. But look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gradually brought them in. Even look at the Quranic message before uh, Hijrah to Medina and the message after. If you look at the Quranic message before Hijrah, it didn't speak about salah being compulsory, it didn't speak about uh, in the way that it was in Medina, right? And wudu and zakah and fasting the month of Ramadan and hajj. Hajj was later on in Medina, many years after migration. The revelation in Mecca was all about correcting false beliefs and inviting people towards Tawheed and breaking the shackles of shirk that they were chained in because they said they were upon what their fathers were upon. That was the message. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was being methodical, calculated. What's more important? That they leave alcohol or that they believe in Allah? If you have tawheed, then all your deeds can stand. Without tawheed, nothing's going to stand. So what's the point? We need to learn from this brothers and sisters. In our da'wah sometimes, we're all over the place. We invite somebody to something and there's bigger things that, that, that need to be addressed first. Right? Now this doesn't mean that you and I, when we become practicing now, you know, we, uh, there's time scales uh, before something becomes uh, haram for us. You know, we say, okay, I started practicing today, so now maybe after three years, uh, a clock will tick and, and this will become haram for me. At the moment, I'm allowed. No, it doesn't mean that. You have to believe what is halal to be halal and what is haram to be haram. But you as a person, if you know, if you know that if I am going to knock a guy on his beard when he's not praying, I'm not going to get him to pray. So what do you do? Do you knock him about his beard or you bring him to salah? It's not that you don't believe having a beard is compulsory, but this is from being wise. And nine times out of ten, if not ten, if you get him to be regular with salah, he himself will grow his beard. You understand what I'm saying? We learn this from here, brothers and sisters. May Allah grant us the understanding. Also when Rasulullah sallallahu so I was saying this was the Quranic message and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was his character was the Quran so when he sent Mu'adh ibn Jabal to Yemen as a qadi as a da'i as an alim towards the end of his life sallallahu alayhi wasallam what did he say he says when you go there a group of people from the book are going to come to you 
come to you. فَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَىٰ أَلَّا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ When they come to you, invite them towards Tawheed. فَإِنْ أَطَاعُوا لَكَ بِذَلِكَ And then when they accept this message of yours, فَاخْبِرْهُمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ فَرَضَ عَلَيْهِمْ خَمْسَ صَلَوَاتٍ فِي كُلِّ يَوْمٍ وَلَيْدَهِ Then tell them, that Allah has made compulsory upon them five daily prayers. فَإِنْهُمْ أَطَاعُوا لَكَ بِذَلِكَ When they accept that, فَاخْبِرْهُمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ فَرَضَ عَلَيْهِمْ صَدَقَةً تُؤْخَذُ مِنْ أَغْنِيَائِهِمْ وَتُرَدُّ عَلَى فُقَرَائِهِمْ Then inform them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made compulsory upon them zakah, which we take from their rich and we give to their poor. You see? This is being gradual, right? Does it mean zakah wasn't compulsory? Of course it was. Does it mean salah wasn't compulsory? Of course it was. But if they didn't believe, what was the point of them performing salah? And if they weren't performing salah, what was the point of their zakah? Sometimes you have a, you have a person who has the capacity to take everything. Yes, then, and this is wisdom, you know the person. That's why in da'wah we don't paint everybody with the same brush. You don't speak to Faris and say, Faris, how did you get this person to accept Islam? And you take that method and you go and apply it to a prospect that you have in front of you. No. Because his person is different than your person. And it's, it's worship of Allah for you to contemplate, to think, how am I going to work out my approach with this person? What's the best way? Just like how when you want to you know, borrow money from someone, does anybody need somebody to tell them you need to think of the right approach? No, you know. <laughs> because it's money. You start thinking, how? You know, he likes ice cream. I'll take him for ice cream. When he's having that, you know, thick chocolate creamy ice cream, I want to tell him, you know what, by the way, I sent you borrow $10,000. He's most likely to say yes. <laughs> this is being wise. We learn this as well, brothers and sisters. And this we also learn for our own selves, in terms of our own piety. How many times do we see people, subhanallah, they hear a talk, you know the Iman boosting talks we spoke about. They come. They hear a talk. Importance of reading Quran. They charged up. I'm going to go home. I'm going to read the Quran every day. One juz. Khalas. They start. First day, one juz. Next day, one juz. But subhanallah, it's a bit of effort. Why? Because shaitan, you know, his meter switched. His signal flashed. This guy's reading a juz. So shaitan's going to come to you now the next day. Right? <coughs> And he's going to pressure you. So you manage to read the Jews the next day. The third day, it Maghrib came and subhanallah, there was like two words that you missed. Two words were completed after Maghrib. You missed your target. The next day, three quarters. The next day, three quarters. The next day, you just manage three quarters. The following day, two ayat after Maghrib. Then half and so on and so forth until burnout. Burn out. You weren't gradual. Salat al-Duha, I'm going to pray every day. If you have the capacity, alhamdulillah. But you got to ask yourself first, what is my capacity? Don't just get all excited, emotional, charged up like the Coke bottle, you know? Shake, shake, shake. It's gassing. What happens? It doesn't last. It doesn't gas like that for uh, until Qiyamah. <laughs> it doesn't. The gas then subsides. Don't be a Coke bottle. So you start Salatul Duha. 
maybe the first week. The next week it got weak. And then weaker. After one month, non-existent until next Ramadan. And subhanallah, you even forgot that you stopped doing it. When Ramadan came the following year, you said, subhanallah, you know I was doing it last year. <laughs> that's, that's what happens. That's what happens, isn't it? Look, you're laughing because you know. It's human nature. You burn out. You have to be gradual. Tahajjud, Quran, Salatul Duha, Sunan Rawatib. Be gradual. Yes, the compulsory things, just do it. No questions asked. But when we're increasing our piety, do it in a gradual formation. Be methodical, be calculated. Start with duha once a week. When you see yourself naturally performing it, make it twice a week. When you get to a stage where you're naturally performing twice a week, make it thrice a week. Same for tahajjud. Even with the Quran. If you can only do half a page, do half a page. But do it every day. Until Allah puts barakah in your action in half a page, you had only 15 minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, you could only read half a page. Now subhanallah, in 10 minutes I can read a page. I've become better. Then read a page. Then in 10 minutes, subhanallah, I can do two pages now. It's taking me five minutes to do a page. I still have 10 minutes for Quran. So I can do two pages. Now do two pages. You see what happens? You gradually grow yourself. So you don't experience burn out. We learn this from how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a prophet. And Quran wasn't revealed in a day. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? 23 years. 23 years. Even you and I, when Allah put us in the, in the bellies of our mothers, for, we were at 40 day intervals. You think Allah couldn't make us be born at, just like that? Kun fayakun? Yes. But Allah chose 40 days as a fluid, 40 days as a hanging piece of cloth, a, a, a hanging cloth, 40 days as a piece of flesh that resembles something chewed. 40, 40, 40. So that you settle. Subhana Rabbi Allah. Allah created us, knows us better than we know ourselves. And the way Allah revealed to us is the biggest lesson of who we are and what our capacities are. For Allah could have revealed the Quran in one go. He could have made his prophet a messenger immediately. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we need to ponder brothers and sisters. The problem is we don't use our brains enough for the right things, for the better things. We don't. I mean, you know, these lessons I'm telling you, this is not something that you know, only scholars can deduce. Anyone who sat down and understood it would say, Subhanallah, Allah has given us an intellect. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa was a prophet to all of us, not only to the scholars. Sallallahu alayhi wa I have a talk online, visit it, it's a very short reminder. It was done in this Medina masjid, in this masjid here. A Zuhar reminder. It's called burn in or burn, in or burn out. Rome wasn't built in a day. Burn in or burn out, Rome wasn't built in a day. A short reminder, about under 10 minutes or 8 minutes. Listen to it inshallah. طيب, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, making him a messenger, قُمْ فَأَنذِرْ قُمْ فَأَنذِرْ Allah told him to stand up and convey. Now, our scholars tell us that قُمْ فَأَنذِرْ was just like Iqra, in that it was not specific to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. الْعِبْرَةُ بِعُمُومِ اللَّفْضِ لَا بِخُصُوصِ السَّبَبِ When we read the Quran, the Quranic message 
applies to everybody and not to the specific circumstance that the ayah was revealed in. So for example, you know, a person can't say, Iqra was Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam becoming a prophet. So the importance of reading is specific to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, not for us. We say no. It's for everybody. And likewise, قُمْ فَأَنذِرْ Da'wah and propagation. The instruction was to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam as per the teaching of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It wasn't specific that he does the da'wah alone. No. And that's why he nurtured the sahaba. And that's why he sent Mu'adh ibn Jabal to Yemen. Why would he send him if they never had to be propagators and du'at and inviters to Allah? And those who understand the sharia, why did he make dua for Ibn Abbas? Allahumma faqihu fi deen wa'allimhu ta'weel. Oh Allah, give him the understanding of religion and the knowledge of the Quran. Why did he make this dua for him? Why did he make dua for the memory of Abu Hurairah radiallahu to memorize thousands of ahadith and be a pillar of hadith in the era of the Sahaba? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires uh, Imam Zuhri Rahmatullahi alayhi from the era of the Tabi'een to be a pillar of the Sunnah as well. Right? And then that's why that's why the Orientalists, when they want to damage the Sunnah, they try and damage Abu Hurairah and Aisha radiallahu anha and Imam Zuhri from the Tabi'een. These are three pillars that the that the Sunnah rests upon. Yes, they are the narrators, but you understand what I'm saying? They, they were the ones known. For many, for many narrations. And Imam Az-Zuhri was known for his application with regards to the prophetic tradition during the time of the Tabi'een. Why would all this happen if the instruction was specific to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And this is where you all come in, my dear brothers and sisters. You have to ask yourself now, where am I and propagating the message of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? You don't have to go to Medina as we established the other day. You know la ilaha illallah. You know there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. You should know the pillars of it. You should know its conditions. This is knowledge everyone should know. Right? And you invite to it. Invite to that which you know. Message of Rasulullah wasallam. Invite to that which I have taught even if it's one ayah. As long as you know it, and you know that you know. This is very important, brothers and sisters. Because we have four types of people. We have a person who knows and knows that he knows. This is an alim, a scholar. A person who is a, not a, he doesn't have to be a scholar of everything, but a scholar in terms of that which he knows. And then we have a person who doesn't know and doesn't know that he doesn't know. Somebody, why are the eyes rolling? That wasn't Latin, that was English by the way. Why are your eyes rolling? He doesn't know something, let me reword it. He doesn't know but he thinks that he knows. How's that? Better? Now you say my ear is here or my ear... Which way you want to get to it? Short way or long way? So the second person is a person who doesn't know but thinks that he knows. This is a dangerous person. This is dangerous, this is compounded ignorance. Not just in their ignorance, murakkab, compounded. <laughs> Why? Because what are you going to teach this person? He doesn't know, but he thinks that he knows. What, what, what are you going to teach him? You're going to keep on arguing, that's all. Because he thinks that he knows the miskin. The poor guy thinks he knows, but he doesn't know. 
You tell him, brother, this is so gray. He says, it's black. He says, brother, it's gray. He says, it's black. And I know that it's black. He says, you don't know that it's black. It's gray. He says, no, it's black. What's going to happen? Till Fajr. Gray, black, gray, black, gray, black. Mushkila. And then you have the third person. Third person is a person who doesn't know and knows that he doesn't know. This is the person you give da'wah to. This is the person you give da'wah to. And then you have the fourth person who knows but doesn't know that he knows. You get people like this. They know something but they don't know that they know it. When you tell them, they go, oh yes, I, you know I used to know this. <laughs> I know this. I actually thought about this. But I didn't know that I knew that. <laughs> That's the fourth person. Right? You should be a person who knows and knows that he knows in that which you give da'wah to. Do not invite to misguidance. Invite to guidance. Go to a scholar. This is my information. Is it correct if I say this? No. Don't say this, say that. Sometimes what you're saying is correct, but the words that you use will cause a problem. A scholar will correct it for you, tweak it for you, will tweak it for you. Right? And then when you set, go and invite to it. You have to do da'wah, brothers and sisters. We, the, the legacy of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa has been placed on our shoulders. Some people more than others. Depending on your knowledge. Ask yourself, have I ever attempted to invite towards La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Have I ever attempted to bring people to salah? Have I ever attempted to correct the problems with zakah in my society? Even if it's in taking a person to a scholar and say, teach him about zakah. Have I ever, have I ever, ask yourself, are you true in terms of you being an element that, carry, that should carry the legacy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam or not? Do you sponsor da'wah initiatives? This is from you doing da'wah. And there's many ways to do da'wah. Even if you stick a simple message at the bottom of your email. Many of us write a lot of things there, right? Be beware, do not print this email, look after the environment. If you print it, it's at your own risk. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Also put an, a da'wah message there. And by the way, there's no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. <laughs> Why not? Is there any law against it? Disclaimer, just letting you know something that I know and know that I know. There is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah. Your job is to convey, not to convert. Alhamdulillah, you've conveyed. You've left somebody something to read. That's da'wah. If you have, if you're a doctor, you have a reception, stick some material at, re at the reception. Instead of useless magazines, they're going to read. Right? So they're waiting for the appointment. Give them something to read. Give them something to read. This is da'wah. Your neighbor, if you can't speak, drop a pamphlet in the letterbox. They might throw it away. Nine times out of ten. But one time out of ten, they might read it. Twenty years down the line, an event will happen in their life and they will remember your pamphlet. And they will knock your door and say, you know, one day, you did that, tell me about it. Wallahi, the other day we just had a new Muslim care event here. I gave a talk to the new Muslims. And their stories, Allahu Akbar. And in the new Muslim academy, which I'm a part of, Walillahi Alhamd, 
weekly with new Muslims. Weekly. Wallahi, you know what I'm so fascinated about? How did you come to Islam? What was your tipping point? Wallahi, the, some of the most amazing stories. You cannot help but believe, Wallahi, la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Wallahi, some people, it was just this. Somebody left a card with Surah Fatiha. And they read, praise be, all praises belong to Allah, the Lord of the worlds. Who's the most forgiving, the most compassionate, the most merciful. Just that introduction. For some reason, they felt this feeling, I have been introduced to the Lord of the worlds. I need to study this more. Allahu Akbar. I'm sitting and thinking, Subhanallah, Wallahi, may Allah fala mudillala. When Allah guides, no one can misguide. Your job is to convey, not to convert. It's Allah who puts the guidance that pushes people over the edge. From the realm of darkness, over the edge into the realm of light. Right? Our job is to convey. So, Qum Fa'andir was not specific to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Iqra wasn't. Now, we're talking about the gradual approach. Even the da'wah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at the beginning, as per Allah's instruction to him, was gradual. As we said, it started in secret. Imagine three years in secret. Secret. He started with who? Khadija radiallahu anha, his wife. The first person to accept Islam. Allahu Akbar. I'm sure the sisters are doing takbirs where they are. <laughs> the first person to accept Islam. And then, Waraqa bin Nawfa. The first man to accept Islam. Yes, there's a slight difference of opinion because he passed away very early. Or soon after he met Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But... He was a supporter and advocate of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah knows best. Waraqa bin Nawfal. Who took Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to him? Khadija radiallahu anha. Female group two. Men group. Still coming, huh? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, or he warned us against insulting Waraqa bin Nawfal. He said, do not insult him, for indeed I've seen that he has a paradise or two paradises. Allahu Akbar. And this is the evidence the scholars used to say he was the first man to accept Islam. Then Abu Bakr radiallahu an. And what will make you understand who Abu Bakr was? His closest friend. And then Ali radiallahu an. The first boy to accept Islam. The cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then Zayd ibn Haritha. The slave boy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The first slave to accept Islam. Charity begins at home. Allah revealed to his uh, Prophet wasallam later on when, when the message was supposed to, when the message was supposed to, uh, oh Ali, I told you that fasda' bima tu'mar, fasda' bima tu'mar was for the, for the message to become open. Right? Kum fa'andhir was him becoming a messenger and to start in secret. Fasda' bima tu'mar wa a'rid anil mushrikeen was the message to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for the da'wah to become open. And also, the, the, another instruction which was given to him when the da'wah became open was, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ That start with the closest to you. Charity begins at home. So even in open da'wah, he was supposed to start with those closest. And even in, in, in secret da'wah, 
He started with those who was closest to him. Khadija, Abu Bakr, Ali, Zayd ibn Harithah, radiallahu anhum, ajma'in. Brothers and sisters, another point for you to benchmark yourself against. Because these are lessons, fiqh seerah. Where are we and da'wah and our families? Or with our families? Where are we? How many of us are trying with our families? They, that's the first da'wah. The first da'wah. You get it right at home, it's going to be right elsewhere, inshallah. Get it right at home. This is the, the testing ground. Would you persevere with those at home? Not to push them away, persevere with them in the right way as upon the, the, the citations I shared with you earlier. In a way that doesn't build, uh, burn bridges, but builds bridges. It might take you a long time. The da'wah of Rasulullah was how long? How long? 23 years. 23 years, brothers and sisters. And it was a journey. It was a journey. Today we do da'wah, we want instant results. Haste. We spoke yesterday about always being in haste. Instant results. We give up. And we'll discuss this. We'll discuss this. Because this concept of giving, give, giving up, it's a mental issue. We'll discuss it just now. So we neglect our families. Our children. Where are they from Salatul Fajr? We're encouraging our friends to Salatul Fajr. Yes, they're close. But our children are closer. Have we gotten them to go to the masjid? Where are we from this? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, anfusakum wa ahlikum Protect yourselves and your families from the hellfire. This da'wah to your families, you will be questioned about, my dear brothers and sisters, everybody here in the audience, and everybody listening at home. You will be questioned. You will be sinful if you did not deliver. Allah has made you a messenger to your families. When He told you to protect yourself and your families from the hellfire, your wife, your spouse, as well. This is an amana and trust upon us. So we're doing a lot of benchmarking today. Right? This is important. That's what we're here for. We're here to grow ourselves. Right? Adult and youth development. Let's develop. Let's grow. Let's emerge. Let's take ourselves to the next chapter. You, you don't want to be version one your whole life. Right? Even Windows now is Windows 8. <laughs> and it's an app. <laughs> right? It became an app. So they, they moved it. It became an app. It, it evolves. You can't be version one. You want to be MS-DOS? Your whole life? Some, some of the kids don't even know what MS-DOS is, right? Disk operating system, Microsoft. As it was at the beginning, Windows 3.1. Hmm? You have to evolve. People are playing Xbox 3. Is it 3 or 4? What is it now? 4? 1? You on 1? You haven't evolved yet, akhi. The Xbox One is the latest? Oh, khalas, I haven't evolved then. <laughs> you have to evolve. You, uh, when are you going to still remain upon being average? Until when? Until when are you going to let yourself be average? You have to evolve, brothers and sisters. And your evolvement involves you causing your family and those within your sphere of influence to evolve as well. Right? Even if it means you tell them, you know, there's a seerah program after taraweeh, let's go pray salah in this masjid. This is da'wah. 
This is you doing your duty. But subhanAllah, you're texting other people, you haven't told your father. You texted your friends, right? Did you tell your father? Did you tell your mother? Did you tell your brothers? Did you tell your sisters? Did you tell your relatives? We neglect and we don't know. This is a problem. We learn from the da'wah of Rasulullah how not to. We also learn, brothers and sisters, how to be diligent when we form our organizations and start up our companies and our projects and our activities. Diligent in getting the best people on our team. Look at Rasulullah Khadija radiallahu anha, giant. Abu Bakr radiallahu giant. Ali radiallahu an, giant, amazing, right? Already he has team members who are going to exacerbate this da'wah, cause this organization to grow exponentially, cause my project to fly, cause my company to explode. The halal explosions, not the haram ones. Abu Bakr radiallahu an. How many people came to Islam because of Abu Bakr? Several. From them, Uthman ibn Affan, radiallahu an, Az-Zubayr ibn al-Awwam, radiallahu an, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, radiallahu an, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, radiallahu an, Talha ibn Abdullah, radiallahu an. Are these names you don't know? These are names you know. He was a giant and he brought giants into Islam as well. These five are from the ten that were given glad tidings whilst they were alive of Jannah. We learn how to be selective. You want to start up a project? Look for the best people to bring in and convince them. Give them da'wah. This is what you do. I need you on my team. You don't push people out of your organization. You're good people. You keep them in. These are people who bring the barakah. Abu Bakr, he brought the barakah to the da'wah. Five giants came into the fold of Islam. Not names that, you know, just swam in the seas of the seerah. No, they were the waves of the seerah. Because we know these names. Subhana Rabbi al We learn this. Just the fact that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or Allah blessed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, with the Islam of Abu Bakr, we learn from this how to target people. Even when you're in your family, look for the most influential people. Look for the purest of hearts from them. Start there, you're most likely to get a bite. And as I said, people, they do taqlid a lot, they follow. They follow. If you're going to the, per, the one person who will probably fight you the most on your message, you will spend so much energies there, and none of the people in the family will come in. They want to wait to see what happens with this person here. Like the other tribes, they used to wait and see. Let's see what happens to the Quraysh. Even when they were rebuilding the Kaaba, they said, let's see what happens to Walid ibn al-Mughira. If he's alive the next day, we'll join him in fixing the Kaaba. So be wise. Look at those who have the purest of hearts, who are likely to listen to you, who have an open mind, and get them on board. When they get on board, now you've created some momentum. People will, you've already eased the process for yourself. And who knows, that person who you got on board, might be so bought in, he might have such strong buy-in, that he himself will go get the rest for you. Subhana Rabbi Allah, and you'll get the rewards, because you got the one man. May Allah grant us the understanding. Ameen.
Now, why did da'wah begin in secret? Was that because Islam was weak? Why? Well, the message was not robust enough? No. No, 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 no. Islam or the da'wah began in secret. Again, wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the gradual approach. Imagine if Islam came with the shock and awe concept, you know, there's shock and awe. Have you heard the statement? Some managers have shock and awe management styles. Right? Some organizations shock and awe. They come, in, they, they come to you with an idea and they shock you and throw you into awe. <laughs> right? The hard marketing, right? It's called shock and awe marketing as well. Imagine if Islam came with the shock and awe concept. What would have happened? What would have happened? It would have faced annihilation. It had absolute no momentum. It's wisdom from Allah. Allah created us. Allah knows best how we think, how we operate. That the Quraysh, as tight as they are upon their ways, if they see that this man has people with him, their reaction will be different. Naturally, Allah knows. And also remember, they were tribal people. So different people from different tribes were with Muhammad. The task wasn't as simple as just getting rid of him. Wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Be patient. Be patient. You don't need results. You can't memorize the Quran overnight, brothers and sisters. You need time. You need effort. It needs revision. It needs patience. Seeking knowledge. Learning a skill. It needs time. It needs effort. It needs patience. Again, today's lesson, subhanAllah, we named it part three, but we could easily name it. The calculated, methodical way. So this was from the wisdoms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted the da'wah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to experience some form of momentum before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him to the ummah. Right? So we, this, uh, this was the reason and as I said, the lesson we learned from it is being gradual. We also learn brothers and sisters from this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not ask from us that which we cannot deliver. He could have told Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam immediately in the cave, you're a messenger. And sent him immediately to the people. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all wise and knows everything. Knows that it's beyond this man's capacity to do so. Allah has, Allah has a specific plan in how this da'wah will be rolled out. And he hasn't given Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the energies to manage it in that particular way. It's the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to teach us brothers and sisters. He was a human being like you and I. Yes, he had specifics, but he was a bashar, a human being like you and I. He slept, he married, he had children, he became sad, he ate, he became ill, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. These are lessons for you and me. Sometimes we think everything is possible, not everything is possible. Learn what is possible and what isn't from the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sometimes as bosses, we ask from our team the impossible. We want them to work the whole night and deliver work as if they slept and came to work and did that work. It's impossible. The mind gets tired. Sometimes our team members, we ask from them the impossible. And some Dao organizations do this as well. And I'm going to cite this because mashallah we have some da'wah elements in the crowd. And this is for those who will watch this on DVD and hear it on MP3 later. Sometimes my message 
the message is, is uh, it's in the 21st century, but firstly dedicated to those in front of me. Right? Some days I see people who I know will benefit from this particular point that, I'll, that is in my heart, I will share it. And I'm going to share this, given the da'wah entities in the audience today. In da'wah also, we want our team member to run, then we want to chop his legs and tell him to run the same way he was running before we chopped his legs. This is what we do sometimes. He, we've given him a project, given his team the project they're busy. Then we say, do the same project and take on another project and this should be excellent and that should be excellent as well. This is impossible. لا يكلف الله نفسن إلا Yes, I know as a leader, as a head, as what... As, 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 as you being in charge of this process, your job is to push, but push, don't shove. <laughs> There's a difference. Push, but don't shove. There's a difference. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not put burden us with that which we cannot do. Learn this brothers and sisters. Parents as well. Learn this brothers and sisters. Don't put on your child the impossible. Don't. Every child is unique. From unfair burdening is to make one child exactly like the other. This is unfair. Allah made him unique and made her unique or made the other child unique. They're different. Why are you saying, well, your brother could do it at this age, you should. Your sister could do it at this age, you should. This is not the same. That dawah organization is doing it, we should do the same. Hey, listen, if that's the case, go get those people from that dawah organization. We still have, we need time to get there. Alright? What I'm saying brothers, be sensitive. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or be sensitive in that you learn from the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was with His Rasul, and the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed His Rasul to begin this da'wah, and how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was with His Sahaba. Did they just start praying in front of the Kaaba? No, they were praying in secret. When Umar became a Muslim, Umar said, let's go. But could he have said, let's go? Yes. But he knows, you know what? Allah doesn't put a burden that we cannot manage. Why should I take them and they're going to, feel, they're going to get harmed? Do you understand what I'm saying? Learn, brothers and sisters, learn. A lot of times, we're discussing yesterday about burnout in the da'wah, right? Some people get burnt out. Because they get pushed too hard. Many a time a team member comes and says, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. He's no more beloved to me and so on and so forth. Why? When they cite their reasons, what do you see? They are, they are being asked that which is impossible for them to deliver. That's what's happening. It's just bad management. It's bad management. You're not looking after your people. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam got Abu Bakr, invited him and Allah gave him hidayah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam looked after him and look at the results. Look at the results. And not only that, when this da'wah became open, how many people did Abu Bakr pay and free them? from their masters, because they were being persecuted for saying, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Learn this, my dear brothers and sisters. Another lesson we learn is we should never act in haste, and we've discussed this. We get this point from the fact that da'wah in secret happened for a period of three whole years. Allahu Akbar. Three whole years. Don't build your organization on matchsticks. You want such fast growth, it's shaky at the bottom. Three whole years, making sure the foundation was strong. The best people were with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Because the turbulence was going to get greater when Rasulullah took his da'wah outwards. He never wanted to have people that will renounce Islam because that's a greater sin. That's another, that's a major sin. You needed people who were ready to be with you on the journey. And subhanallah, I don't know how far we're going to get on with this seerah, but inshallah, the next time Allah brings us together, my plan was to discuss the, the, the period in Medina. And if you just study the Battle of Badr, wallahi, the management lessons just from the Battle of Badr are absolutely amazing. The fact that, you know, how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa when they found out that we're not facing, taking this caravan, we're facing an army of over a thousand people. How he stopped the people and said, what do you think he did shura? Let's see the team morale here. Let's see. Right? Let's, let's just check how it is. You know? Last year I did a conference of 500. I need to do a conference of 5,000 this year. Before I, I drop it on my team, let me see team morale. What do you guys think? And what did they say to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? We will not be like the people of Musa who said to Musa, Idhab anta wa rabbuka faqatila inna hahuna qa'idun. Who said to Musa, you and your Lord go and fight, we stay behind. Rather, we will be with you with whatever you decide. He looked at the team morale. Did he have to? But yes, we can say he had to. Because he was the best, he had the best character, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he was teaching the ummah how to do things, how to manage people. We don't force people into positions that they cannot manage. And then orchestrate their downfall and then go to sleep at night, Allahul Musta'an. And this is general in da'wah, in business, in the corporate world, at home, with your children, with your wives, with your spouses. Right? Sometimes, you know, you can't tell your wife, you know, my friend, his wife, he just comes home. He doesn't have to phone her and say, I'm bringing a guest. If I do that, we have an argument. You should be like her. That's not, you don't have to do that, brothers and sisters. Firstly, that's not fair. It's not fair that you do that. Wallahi, it's not fair. As you know, You as a male, you, you know, you, you don't mind healthy competition. When it comes to you, your wife is possessive of you. The moment you start comparing her to another woman, it's more than just her not being as good as her. It's the fact that your eye has noticed somebody else's qualities. It's not fair, firstly. You got to be sensitive. How many times have I said that word? The S word, huh? Be sensitive. You got to do sure, understand team morale, understand who you have in the team. The thought process, Allah created everybody different. And that's what makes life fun. That's what makes life fun. It doesn't mean that you need to phone your wife and tell her, you know, I got somebody, is it okay to bring that? No, that's bad. That your wife is not as good as the other one who the person doesn't have to phone. No, she's different and she's different. That's what, it's, it, that's what makes life fun. Right? Makes life fun. Alhamdulillah. We have to fix our, our understanding. So, wallahi, this whole session about what we can learn from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam becoming a prophet, how Allah sent him, the whole, you know, the three-year da'wah in secret, then the open da'wah, and even how that happened and the wisdoms behind it. Wallahi, this is a DNA of, or, or it's, 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 it's that imprint of how life should be. How life should be, how you and I should live. Many a time, subhanAllah, we have problems in our homes, in our workplaces, in our da'wah, in, uh, with, our, with those below us. You know who, who the problem is? You. You the problem. Many a time. You, if you just 
thought about what you were doing and did it a different way, you might have had different results. If you just lowered the bar a little bit, not because you want average people, but because the bar at that level is asking for something impossible, you would have seen different results. May Allah grant us the understanding. The last thing I'm going to say because time is up, I really wanted to go through these slides, but I want to say it because it's really related. It's really, really related. And as I said, you know, I wanted to do the Makkan period in one sitting in, 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 in 16 or 17 episodes, but this, uh, we have to respect the Sunnah. And that's why I'm happy to change my mind and say I'll do it in two episodes. In, in not two episodes, two parts. Instead of having Makkah period and the Medina period, two parts, we have two Makkah parts, two Medina parts. We might need three Medina parts. Wallahi, when you get to Medina, Allahu Akbar. What you get from, from there is, is, is so much more as well. His life, he was a prophet for 23 years. All 23 years is lessons for us. But one thing I want to discuss with you all brothers and sisters, because it's related to everything we said, and I promise to do so, and it's good to package, uh, the DVD will come out, uh, and some of you might not be here tomorrow. We were talking about, about, or this whole lesson was how to be gradual and so on and so forth, right? And how not to put more pressure on people than, that, uh, than they deserve, or that they, uh, than they can manage, right? Those who study mindsets tell us a very important thing. That there's two types of mindsets. You have the fixed mindset and you have what they call the growth mindset. Many people by default have a fixed mindset. And some people don't, but in many cases our environment gives, causes us to grow up having a fixed mindset. Our homes, the way our parents are with us, the school system. The school system definitely causes you to have a fixed mindset. What is the fixed mindset? What is the growth mindset? In my humble view, the growth mindset is a mindset that focuses on effort. And the fixed mindset is the mindset that always focuses on result. It's so result focused that it sees nothing but that. But there's a flaw with the fixed mindset. And that flaw is, if the result cannot be achieved, the fixed mindset person loses interest. Loses interest. As if they are as if that thing is not worthy to be something that they should be pursuing. They become bored. They lose interest. Why? Because the realiz realization comes that I'm going to fail. And the scariest thing to the fixed mindset is failing. Many a time we do this with our children, brothers and sisters. Schools do it. It's all about the results. We batch the kids, A batch, B batch. So already we're giving them complexes. Then 90%, 80%, 70%, it's based on the exam. It's not based on effort. Their effort could have been 100%. But Qadarullah, they were sick the day of the exam. Qadarullah, they forgot they were a human being. Qadarullah, they read the question wrong. Can we improve? Yes, we can. But does that mean they were a total failure? No. The fixed mindset, be, the fixed mindset will go into depression. The fixed mindset, if the fixed mindset is a leader, this fixed mindset will burn out the people around him. This is, this, is, this is documented. It doesn't matter that my team or my child was up most of the nights. The fact is you didn't hit the target. As a parent, you needed 100%. You needed 95%. You didn't get it, it doesn't matter what you did. Because the result wasn't there, it means the effort wasn't there. And this is not true. This is not true. 
There's something known as the qadr. And yes, yes, there's another type of qadr which means you take the means, you lock your home. But yes, we lock our home. But if Allah wills that someone breaks into the home, does that mean we didn't lock our home? No. It doesn't mean that. The growth mindset is a mindset that is effort-based. The harder the task, the more interested the person is. Why? Because they have the growth mindset. They are focused on effort. And now the effort or the application has become even more interesting. You know, it's one of those, mm, it's one of those ones. This is interesting. I like the challenge. But whatever happens at the end will happen. But I'm focused on the challenge. Whether I can finish the puzzle or I can't, but I'm going to give it all I can. I'm going to give it all I can. Nine times out of ten, I do it. But if I don't do it one time, it's fine. As long as I did my best. And if I do it, but I cheated doing it, I'm going to be upset. Because that wasn't good effort. That wasn't good effort. You got the result, but the effort was, up, was, was poor. So what happens? You're not happy. You're not pleased. You have a conscience that brings you down. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn this. Today we were discussing, in most cases, the growth mindset and the importance of having a growth mindset. Tell your children. They didn't come first. No, my dear child, come sit down. What happened in the exam? This is what happened. But you know what? You tried hard. I saw you studying. I saw you were doing your extra lessons. You were good. You followed the timetable at home. There was only so much PlayStation you played. There was only so much TV you watched. There was so many, only so much outside time you had. You were studying. Don't worry. Try next time. As far as I'm concerned as your parent, you are number one. You are number one. Sahih. Sahih. Wallahi. You know, there's so many of our mashayikh. When they graduated from universities, they weren't the top graduates. And those who are top graduates, we don't even know where they are today. I know this from many of the mashayikh. They're superstars today. They are carriers of the sharia. But they graduated with marks, subhanallah. You would think, ajeeb, if you got those marks, you would say, la hawla wa la illa billah. But that's just how it was. They weren't exam focused. They weren't those who study everything just to pass the exam. They had a lot of knowledge, just not correct application in terms of exams. And it never bothered them. They got through, alhamdulillah. They got through, alhamdulillah. But the knowledge that they had was far superior. Wallahi, when I was studying, I had a, I had a, 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 a good friend. He, he was an Ansari from Medina, right? This man, this boy, mashallah, he was reading Al-Qurtubi, or he says he read Qurtubi when he was like 11 years old. You know Tafsir Al-Qurtubi, how big Al-Qurtubi is? It's a mighty Tafsir. And not for the faint-hearted, <laughs> I might add. And when he was 11, he says, I was reading Al-Qurtubi. Right? But every exam, I would, he, he, would, he would only see my dust in terms of results. He wouldn't perform as good as me. But Wallahi, not for one moment did I ever think this man had no knowledge. In class, without the book, he would answer things, SubhanAllah, even the teachers would be amazed. He had knowledge. But exams just wasn't his thing. I'll phone him up night of the exam. What are you reading? He says, I'm reading Arabic poetry. I'm reading a book in Nahaw. I say, but tomorrow's a fiqh exam. Because Wallahi, I can't read fiqh. My heart doesn't allow me to. I don't feel the sweetness doing it. I've just left it. I'm, I'm enjoying reading Arabic. Tomorrow's the exam. Khair, inshallah. And he passes with previous knowledge. Allahu Akbar. That says a lot. Right? So don't judge people based on result. Sometimes you set a target for your teams, they work hard, they don't get it, that's fine. As long as you tried. 
because there's something known as the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And that will prevail. Al-Qadr, Al-Kawni, Al-Qadari. The universal decree of Allah will always happen. Whether you like it or not, it will happen. The other Qadr, Al-Qadr, Al-Shari'i, Al-Dini, that's taking the means, that's in our hands. That's in our hands. Locking the house. That's a, that's a Qadr, yes. Working your best, studying hard. But the Qadr that prevails, prevails is Qadr Al-Kawni, Al-Qadari, the universal Qadr. That, that will prevail. You locked your house, you put your trust in Allah. It doesn't mean your house won't be broken into. You wore your seatbelt, you might not have benefited from it. But should you wear the seatbelt? Yes. That's a qadr you have to take. Should you study? Yes. That's a qadr you have to practice. Should you lock your home? Yes. You should. That's a qadr you need to practice. But have the growth mindset, brothers and sisters, especially with your team members, because you'll burn them out. You will burn them out. Our job as du'at and propagators and parents and teachers is to nurture the ummah, is to grow them, grow their abilities, make them become people who can take our da'wah to the next level when they come of age. That's what we need to do. We don't need to be making carbon copies of ourselves, firstly. Firstly, where it's our standards and we push them to it. No, but we push them so that they are rounded holistically. And we've grown them to a stage where they can, be, they can make the da'wah what it can be, not what it is. Understand that, my dear brothers and sisters. Growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. If you want to learn more, Google it. Jazakumullah khairan, we've taken a long time. And subhanAllah, today I only shared with you half the lesson. And I repeated many points, but they need to be repeated. The points I've shared, wallahi, just from how Rasulullah became a prophet and how he became a messenger. And the stages in his da'wah. We finished, uh, we, we were just discussing now da'wah in secret. The lessons we've taken means the world to a parent, means the world to a teacher, means the world to a boss, to an employer, means the world to a, 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 the, the head of an Islamic organization, means the world to the president, means the world to the minister, means the world to everybody. Wallahi, the lessons we took is for everybody. It deserved the time we spent. It deserved me harping and harping and harping. And I don't like to call it that. I rather call it consolidating and then reconsolidating. Telling you what you didn't know and then repeating what you now know and then telling you again what you just learned. <laughs> this, is this is education, right? This is what we do. <laughs> this is what an educator does. This is important. Wallahi, if you only listen to one DVD from the set that comes out and it was this one and you changed your life and propagated this message, Wallahi, there will be change in the ummah. Because this is how Islam came to us in this way. Jazakumullah khairan. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Let's come back tomorrow insha'Allah and do part four of the days after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam became a prophet. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He's perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaitan and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Hada wallahu a'lam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi subhanaka Allahumma wa bihamdika nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.